Romans is found in what testament? The New. New Testament. That's right. Who wrote the book of Romans? Paul. Oh. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Today we're going to be looking at verse 33. Uh, we're working our, working our way to the end of the chapter. And we've been learning about these seven truths in suffering. Uh, we learned not too long ago that God is going to be with us. Uh, we learned also um, last week um, how God gives us all things. And now this week we're going to learn about how God justifies us. So how God justifies the elect. And these truths are for us to, to, to hold on to. That, that it's never a time in the Christian life that we don't have these truths. Never a time. At every single moment of the life of the Christian, we have these seven truths that we learned about. So the truth we're going to learn about today is that, that God has justified their elect. Let me read verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God elect? It is God who justifies. Let me read it again, verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God elect? It is God who justifies. Let me pray for us and ask the Lord to help us with this one verse this morning. Father God, in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us back to the part of the worship. Lord, we get to hear your word preach. Lord, we heard the word read from Isaiah. How, Lord, that you are the one, Lord, that um, brings about people that are guilty and you bring about for them to be not guilty. But we also heard in your word in Revelation that it is the accuser out there that accuses your people. But also, Lord, we also heard your word song, Lord, that your grace and mercy. Lord, we have been full this morning already, Lord, of so many great truths this morning. And these great truths lead, up, lead to this time right now, how the songs that we sung and how the word that we read, it points right to what we're going to hear in the preaching of your word. And you give us this, to encourage your church, to encourage your believers, to edify them, to build them up, that for them... They are more than they are more than cared for. That you would not turn your back on them. That your grace and mercy you are given to us, Lord, is the same grace and mercy, Lord, that's going to keep us. So, Lord, help us be reminded of that this morning as we hear your word preach. Give me the strength and the wisdom to preach your word faithfully. If this not truthful and faithful, Lord, let it remove from my notes and my lips. Let me teach everything, Lord, you have me to teach this morning. That your people, Lord, can leave this place here knowing that they met with their God. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to bless us at this time and help us in your word. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. As I was preparing for this text this week, um, it was a, a situation that, that came up that I think went right along with this sermon text. And it was years ago, and um, it was a quite a bit of God. One God was a... Uh, a major physician, uh, physical therapist in this community. Um, 
And we used to play ball quite a bit, you know, throughout the week. Um, so this physician brought a friend to play ball with us one particular day. And um, at this time, I had me a little Honda. And people had the little, you know, before they made those fancy cars like y'all bought, you know, with the TVs and everything, the screens in the front of it. Y'all don't have to raise your hand. I know pretty much all y'all have those type of fancy cars with the little TV monitor in it. Before they had all of those things, we had, I had a little Honda. And I wanted to be cool, so I went to the stereo audio place and I got this N-Dash TV. And I wired it all up and I got my N-Dash and I pushed the button. My screen come on out and I put a little DVD in and I can watch a movie. So doing ha uh, homecoming, you're gonna be homecoming, right? You know, I have my little rims on my car. And I had the TV playing, and everybody like, wow, wow. Cresta got a movie playing on the TV. Now, I can't tell you what it was playing, but Lord was working on me back then. But for the most part, it was a screen in that playing, and so it was pretty fancy. So this guy that we played ball with, uh, he, he saw the TV one day playing ball. He said, man, I want one of those in my car. And I said, man, uh, man, hey, it's for sale for the right price. And he gave me a price I couldn't resist. I said, hey, you can have it right now. And so um, he, he gave me the money. I sold him the TV in my car. And um, uh, somebody that was with me, they got the, they got the TV, and they, they wired the TV up inside the N-Dash monitor. They wired it up for him. And he was happy he's competing. And now... He has an in-dash screen in his car. Well, the next day, right, it happens. I get a phone call. Somebody broke in his car and stole the in-dash out of the car. And so not too many people know about this in-dash that he bought. Well, the first person that come, the first person that is accused for this was me. And everybody came out. Well, Creston, that was your screen. You sold and got his money, now you stole the screen out of his car. And I said, let me explain. Like, no, I, I didn't do this. No, no, you're the only one who knew this. And I'm like, no, I, I didn't do this. No, you did it. Crescent is a thief. Like, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about that. I, I sold it to him, and, and it went on and on for a while. And um, nothing I can say can vindicate my name. Nothing. I was I didn't do it, and I, and I shared. But but even in the midst of that guilt, you know, and all that, I just felt so miserable that what everybody think of me. That that Crescent is the one that stole this dash. He sold it to him. He got the money for it. Then he went in the same night and took it out of his car, and it bothered me for a long time. I think it was weeks and weeks and months and months. And the Lord didn't allow my name, it feel like, in that moment to be vindicated. And so for me, I couldn't rest without saying I didn't do it. And there's nothing worse I can say to make things right. You've been there before? That you have been accused of something you didn't do? At your workplace? Might be in your marriage, friendships? And nothing you can say for a spouse or for a friend, nothing you can say for them to convince that you are truthful in this matter. You, you've tried everything to be vindicated and feel like you cannot be vindicated. 
That's how I felt. I felt the same way. That how embarrassing this is. That people see me as this. And one thing about me, I I, I don't, you know, I haven't had a past of just stealing. And to be labeled as a thief, and that was embarrassing. My character was torn down. And I, and I couldn't do anything about it. And I think the Lord allowed it to happen to give me what I wanted in that moment, what I needed in that moment. Because I didn't trust the Lord. I cared so much about what people thought of me in that moment. But at the right time, the, the Lord was allowing me to see. And over time, I was able to get to the point and say, it's out of my hands. Can't do anything about it. And at that moment, I get a word on the streets. Hey, the person that you got to hook the actual car to in dash in, they plotted it with another young man to steal the in dash out. And so I got the word and I reached out to the young men and and they came out and they after I kind of did some digging, they confessed it. And um, and I got the in dash stream back from them, and then I um, I mailed it to that person to the address, um, and the person got the in dash back. But it seemed like the Lord at the time didn't want me my name to be vindicated, and, and it might be the same thing for you right now in life. You felt like you're not this bad person, or you're not this person, whatever everybody may think think you are. Well, if that's you, I think this sermon message this morning for the believer, I think this message is encouraging for you and for me. How do we know this? Because we're going to find that regardless of what may, people may say about us, what truly matters what God says about us. That's what actually is confirmed here in our text. We're going to do it at three points today. What charges are brought against the elect? What charges are brought against the elect? The first point here. It's going to be dealing with the first part of this verse 33. The second point is going to continue dealing with the first part of this verse 33. Who are the ones that bring charges against the elect? And the last point is going to be what, what happened to the elect that have charges brought against them? What happens to the elect that have charges brought against them? So I'll jump into point number one. What charges are brought against the elect? Paul now moves to encourage the believer again. Now, the believer is always trying to find a reason to convince themselves that God doesn't love them or that God is against them. And as believers, this is a battle for us. We always are convincing ourselves, saying that, well, God doesn't love me because this has happened in my life. Well, God doesn't love me because this situation didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen. The flesh want them to, to continue to, to try to disprove God's faithfulness so they can come to this conclusion that God has abandoned them. That's what the flesh do. It wants us to come to the conclusion that God has abandoned us. I was listening to a message on R.C. Sproul's about the spirit and the flesh. That, 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 that they are enemies of each other. There is a war that's happening that the flesh hate the things of the spirit. And the spirit 
hates the things of the flesh. It's a true war that is happening right now. Think about two countries are against each other. They have missiles pointing at each other. Two countries are, are hostile towards each other. That's what's happening within the, the side of the believers. The flesh is a war against the spirit. A lot of times we say, well, the flesh is not that bad. I can control it. It's not that bad. It's really not that bad because we don't understand the enemy. If we based upon a meeting of the United Nations, two countries shaking hands with each other, oh, they're just friendly guys shaking hands. And that's how we kind of base the flesh. It's like, it's just two, the flesh and the spirit, they don't like each other, but hey, they can shake hands with each other. But in actuality, within two nations, even though those two country heads might be shaking hands with each other, those two countries might have pistols still pointing at each other. In the same way in the flesh. The flesh and the spirit and its war against each other. And the flesh wants us to come to the conclusion that God seen what you did and God has already left what you done, left you. But family, God is near to his people. And so Paul, now knowing that the believer is struggling with this, has God abandoned me? Will God love? Has God love ended? So Paul now brings up justification. Paul has really has overemphasized justification in the past. It is something about justification that, that the believer needs to know. If we look back at chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 8, almost all of Romans we see in Paul continue bringing up this word justification. What's so important about the word justification? I mean, think about this is the first letter, right, the, the huge, the longest letter, I'm going to say the first letter, the longest letter of Paul theology is Romans. We got 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, we got all the rest of these books. But Paul, longest letter to the book of the, to the, to the church in Rome, he wrote this letter in justification. Family, if you are driving down 79 or Blake Street here, and every time you drive in a certain lane, you get a tire to blow out. You fix the tire, you get back and you get the new tire on there, you go in that same route, in that same lane, your tire go out again. You get the tire fixed, you go in that same lane, your tire go out. Eventually, what are you going to do? You're going to go another route. Or you're going to get another lane. I think Paul continued to show a justification to get us our attention. To say, you need to know about this. You need to know about this. The suffering believer, no matter what you're going through in life, you need to know about justification. So family, Amen. what are we doing with justification? Is it just theological terms? Ah, let me tell you about the Reformation, so the fide. Let me, show, let me share with you about this word justification. Is it just theological term that haven't pierced the heart? But Paul continued bringing up this word justification for a particular purpose. And I believe by embracing and accepting the doctrine of justification, 
Paul knows that it will help the struggling believer know the true things about God. I think one of the reasons why we struggle with justification, I guess it's this unbelievable verdict. This unbelievable verdict that the Christians are righteous and does something it does something to the struggling believer. I think this is unbelievable that for me, the biggest sinner in this room, for me that I have sinned against God, I am righteous. I think a lot of time we don't say that like that, but that's what we believe about God. When we sin and we fall short, over and over again, we come to this like, there's no way that God going to continue loving me. But Paul tells us that God loves us. And I think as the believer, at times when we fall into temptation and fall into sin, we, we come out this, 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 this unbelievable posture that, that how in the world can God love me? Said you can't base it off your experience and what you think. You gotta base it off God's word. This is what God's word says about you. Amen. That it doesn't matter how you feel. It don't matter what you want. It's a matter what God's words has said. That God's word said that you are righteous. Remember the word justify. Right? Righteous is the same word in Greek. Right? To be made right, that, that all charges are dropped. Or, or someone have took those charges. And now you can be set free. You have made, you are right before the law. You are a law-abiding citizen. You have upkept the law. You are considered right before the law. So Paul brings up justification again in our text. Paul introduces back to justification by bringing up the charges against the elect. We know by being a believer in Christ that all of our charges have been accepted by Christ and we get freedom. But we as believers have a hard time accepting the charges have been given over to Christ. And many of us would say, oh yeah, all the charges have been forgiven by Christ, but we don't cherish how much rich the word is for the Christ, for the Christian believer. A lot of times when charges are brought against someone, the goal is to, to bring about justice for those charges. The word charge right here in our text. We see is the word egakaleo. Egakaleo. It means to bring charges or press charges. It's a compound word. In kaleo. In kaleo. In is like a preposition. It can mean bring. Kaleo means to call. So bring to call. We can translate that for us, for example, like bring to account of. To call in.
Let me give an example. You guys remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? Joseph was considered a lawbreaker before Potiphar. The story of Joseph. Joseph was um, Jacob's son. He was the one his brother sold him into slavery. And he was in Egypt and Potiphar's wife saw that Joseph was a handsome man. Let me read a little bit of story for you about the little story of Joseph. How the charges were brought before Joseph. Listen to this. Now Joseph was a handsome and formed appearance and after a time his master wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master wife, behold because of me my master have no concern about anything in the house and he had put everything that he has in my charge. Skip down, verse 11. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she called him, Potiphar's wife, she called him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her land, and he fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment, her hand and had left and fled out of the house. She called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled out of God, fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you whom you have brought among us came in to me and laughed at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment and beside me and fled out of the house. And it goes on to verse 19 here. And that's what I'm reading from Genesis 39, chapter 39. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. So Joseph had charges against him that he tried to lie with Potiphar's wife. He was called in. He was brought into account. And he was thrown into jail for these charges. Another example was David in Psalm 109. Another example of this. David said in Psalm 109, Be not silent, O God, of my praise. For the wicked deceitful mouths are open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. David was accused of by Saul and many of his enemies to diminish his character. David had charges against him. They brought him count that David was the one that did this. And not just David. I mean, what about the life of Jesus? You guys remembering the life of Jesus in Matthew 12, 22, 24. We saw it in Luke 13, 10. Matthew 12, 22. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind, blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of God, son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cows out demons. 
Now, Jesus is described as one uh, doing things in the name of Bezebub. Not only that, Jesus was accused as well of breaking the Sabbath. We saw this in Luke. Luke 13, 10. Now, when he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had, had a dis, uh, disabling spirit. For 18 years, she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are free from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. Immediately, she was made straight, and she glorified God. Not only that, we know Jesus before, he was before um, Pilate. And Jesus was considered, called himself God. So these are charges that have been brought against Jesus. They have been brought against David. They have been brought against Joseph. But family, we also know about Paul in Acts 24. When Paul was actually accused of things. You might just see what I'm going here with this. That every person that was a child of God throughout history has always had charges brought against them. There will never be a time that charges would not be brought against us. There will always be charges brought against God's elect. The elect are those that have been chosen by the Father in eternity past. That God chosen people will always have charges brought up against them. A lot of times these charges are false. Some might be true. Even Christ have a charge brought against him. Even though he was the perfect righteous savior, charges were brought against him. Even though he was the one that never sinned before, but he became sin, charges were brought before him. As a believer, charges will always be brought against us. But as believers, no crisis took our charges. Even as believers. In the early church, I don't know if you all knew this, when, when the early church took communion, when they took the bread and the juice, there, a lot of times, those who were outside the church, they were so, those Christians, those Christian sects, or those Christian groups, they believe in eating Jesus' body, and they believe in actually drinking his true blood. It was charges on actually the believers that they was cannibalists. That they was actually eating his body and drinking his blood. Many more charges are brought against the early Christian church. Family, even for us today, even in the 21st century, charges will always be brought against his people. It was brought against Paul. It was brought against Jesus, Joseph, David, and everyone else in the Old Testament. Even Elijah and Elisha. By Jezebel. The Christian will always be called out on certain things. That's the nature of being a Christian. All types of charges are going to be brought against us. The follow after Jesus. We get called the same thing he was called. A lawbreaker. A lawbreaker. A lawbreaker. So we just set the tone here on the first point here. That as being a believer in God elect, charges was always brought against God elect. We all can agree, right? Charges are always brought against God's people. 
even a believer going to work today or going to work tomorrow, somebody will lie on you. Charges are always brought on believers. Okay? Second thing here. So we know charges are always brought on believers. Now we're going to deal with who bring these charges on these believers. Who are the ones that bring charges on the believers? Paul turns from using us here in verse 32 to now elect. This helps us clearly see again, again that we are God's elect. It's not a, it's like, this is like an oxymoron here. That the charges are brought on the elect. That doesn't sound right, right, does it? How can charges be brought on those that God has already redeemed? Paul is putting it out there that for us to really hear how that really sounds. That believers have charges? Like, think about that. That believers have charges. Just think about that. Let me, let me help you out. Look out the window, a horse is riding a bike. That doesn't sound right, does it? A horse is riding a bike. Or, or hey, I went fishing last week. I saw a fish playing basketball. Can a fish play basketball? Or, I saw the Vikings and 49ers winning the Super Bowl. It doesn't sound right. Or Jerry being pressing and fishing. It, those things doesn't sound right. Or the toddler's been the best in spades. Like, those things doesn't sound right. But y'all get my point here. In the same way, it doesn't sound right when it says... Charges are brought against God elect. It doesn't sound right. It is nowhere near correct to say that let elect have charges. We would never have charges on us again. It doesn't sound right. They already, the charges have already been accounted for. The charges have already been accounted for. The verdict has already been put in. The Bible already said that the believers are not guilty. So how can more charges be brought against us? It doesn't sound right. That's what Paul is getting at here. He asked this question now is that for us to see. Who shall bring any charges against God elect? We shouldn't even entertain that. So we see here. What kind of parties can bring charges against us? The first party here I want to mention here. To bring against us of people in the world. People in the world are quick to say that you did this and that. So how can you be a believer? Sometimes this is other believers are bringing charges against other believers that you're not in the faith because you did this. So people can bring charges against each other. Who else can bring charges? Satan. We just read about that in Revelation 12. The accuser. He's considered the accuser. But I think it's another party here. I think we're partying at this last party of bringing charges against God elect. I think this party right here is the most crucial out of anybody. We mentioned the people in the world. We mentioned about how Satan can bring charges. I think this last one's the most crucial, and which one it is. Y'all too quiet this morning. Let me help you out. That we ourselves. 
Ah, yeah. We ourselves still struggle that God has forgiven us. It's God has forgiven us that, 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 that there is no more charges on us. We cannot accept that. Amen. And we walk in that guilt. We walk in it every single day. That God has completely forgiven me. There's no way. No way. Man, did y'all know what I just did yesterday? A lot of time, it's us. It's, it's us, our flesh. We struggle with this fact. And then we don't believe it. And we think God has neglected us. Then, then Paul reminds us here, that's when we start condemning ourselves. And that's where it goes back to Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He brings us up because we are the one to quickly to condemn ourselves. Because we have forgotten what God has already said in his word. That the let is already justified. So there will be a never time the charge would ever be brought against us. We're comparing God to Jefferson County court system. Go in and appeal and keep appealing. I don't know how many times you can appeal charges. But Christ's blood on the cross, right? It was final. It was accepted by the Father that the Father has said that his son has took the punishment of the people and the people are set free and they will never be charged again because Christ already took the charge. Amen. He took the charge already. So you're telling me now that Christ took the charge and so we got to take the charge again. If we got to take the charge again, that means Christ didn't do it all. But we truly believe that Christ has done it all that means Christ has truly took all of our charges, every single charge, family, not just some of the charges you want to give to him, the charges that you don't even know about have been given over to him. But y'all quiet this morning. Y'all kind of hesitant this morning. Let's look at the point number three. Maybe the last point encourages this morning. What happened to the elect that have charges brought against them? Who shall bring any charge against God elect? It is God who justifies. As we wrap things up this morning, in verse 33 of Romans 8, I want us to now consider what really happened when charges brought against the elect. When charges brought against us from unbelievers or believers, or from the devil, or even from our own insecurities. We don't have to submit to those allegations or type of any unbiblical or kind of curative, some unbiblical thoughts. We can turn to God's word. We can turn to his scriptures. We can turn to what God's word says here. It says in 2 Samuel 7, 28, and now, O Lord God, you are a God, you are a God, and your words are true. It tells us also in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Also in Psalm 119, 142, and Psalm 119, 151, and 152. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimony that you have founded them forever. Family, God's word is true. God's word doesn't make mistakes. So we, as we read about Paul in Romans 7, as a believer, and Paul considered himself wretched or miserable, 
we should neglect what God's word has already said about us. God's word said about us is that the charge has been dropped. It is God who justifies. Young, young literal translation said, God is he that is declaring righteous. Justify means to declare one righteous. I'm not the best in Greek. I'm still working through my English. But in Greek, I think it said, Theos ha dikaatenas. It says three words in Greek. In our Bible, we see in verse 33, in the last part of this verse, it is God who justifies. That's one, two, three, four, five words, right? In Greek, it's just three words here. And it's just saying right here that God, the justifier. If I hit you right there. It said God, the justifier. If you notice, Paul did not address any charges that are true or false. Paul didn't bring up any of the charges. It's not necessary to bring up the charges. Paul just lets us know right here that God, the God, the justifier. He does not even entertain whatever could be mentioned about the believer. He said, God, the justifier. He's not concerned with any of the charges per se. I think the reason for this is that Paul does not want us to even consider the charges. Paul wants us to think and break on the fact that God, the justifier. A lot of times we entertain the charges. We go explain and explain and explain. Paul just said right here, God, the justifier. He intentionally goes straight to the one that justifies that is God is the one. This reminds of someone running in the courtroom yelling out charges. The lawyers yelling out the charges. Family and friend yelling out the charges. And the judge said the ju this person is justified and the gavel has already hit the table. The verdict is already in. No matter what is brought before the judge. No matter what charge is brought before him. Paul says right here, the mic has already dropped. God is the justifier. He has already closed the case and said the person is justified. So what that means is that family, I think what we struggle the most in, when we entertain that it's possibly the charges haven't been dropped. When we entertain what our flesh may say about us, when we entertain what people may say about us, when we entertain what Satan tries to tell us about ourselves, when we entertain the charges, that's when we start to question if the charges are really dropped. Paul tells us don't even entertain it. Paul said, go straight to the point that God has already done it. You can spend all day bringing things against me. You can spend all night bringing things against me. But God has already defined it in his word. And we just said in Psalms and John and also 2 Samuel that God's word is true. If God's word is truly true, God has made me righteous and justified and I can walk into it. So family, as we end here this morning, remember the words we've been learning from Paul. We learned it earlier in Romans 4, verse 5. And to the one who does not work but believes in him 
who justify the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteous. The same word righteous is the same word justified. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one who God accounts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. We also see this in other places in Romans. We read about this in Romans 5, verse 9. So therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. We we'll learned about this also. In Galatians 2.16, we talked about this before. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Family, we are made right by Christ, not by our works. We are forever righteous. The Reformation Heritage says this right here. God's verdict is final. God's verdict is what? Final. There is no appeal court beyond him. Either for us or for our accusers. Christ's works ensures that all of the elect will be justified. Though this blessing is not bestowed until they are effectually called. So he says this right here though is that the verdict is final. That we are justified. ESV study Bible says this. Satan their enemy or even their own consciousness may bring charges against God elect. But those who have come to faith in Christ will never be found guilty. For God declared them to be right before all the world at the divine tribunal. Last one, last one, last quote from Lord Jones. The real significance, therefore, of who shall lay anything to the, to the charge of God elect, it is God to justify, is that being justified, we are not cleared against one charge only. The devil may come and make particular charge saying, this man fell into that sin. Is he a Christian? You are not only cleared against any one charge in justification, you are cleared against every charge. All the charges that can ever be thought of, justification means that you are cleared and delivered and just in the sight of God as regard your past, present, and future. It is a once and for all act. So all the conceivable charges are already answered in God's declaratory statement about his having justified us. Family, as we get ready to leave here, again, be reminded that you are justified. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up at times. But just like the Judaizers wanted to try to live a life of hypocrisy and try to say all these things they did, they were the ones that still was living in life of sin. They truly didn't believe in God. But for those that truly believe in God, family, you are justified regardless of your failure. So remember that you will be always be justified. And you don't have to entertain any type of idea of being guilty before the, charge, before the law. You are completely righteous before the law. For those that are struggling with depression and anxiety, those that are struggling or what people think about them. What it tells me right here is that you truly not believe in God's word. But if you truly believe in God's word, God has already set you free. And now it's time for us to walk into that freedom. It's time for us to walk in that freedom. Let me end with a couple of applications here. 
We shouldn't continue in sin because we are declared righteous. That's the first thing I want to say. I know somebody can take this sermon. Well, I'm righteous. I can go do anything I want to do. For those that are righteous, they don't want to do anything they want to do. They want to do the things of God. But at the time, the flesh is weak. The flesh want to do other things. But the spirit in them wanted to do the things of God. So again, there's no way a Christian is continuing in sin if he's truly delivered from the futile ways. They mess up, yes. But they want to turn to Jesus. They mess up, they want to turn to Jesus. And that's what Paul shows here. Paul said, I'm the chief sinner. I, mean, I messed up. But he kept turning to Jesus. He kept turning to Jesus. Second thing here. Even though we shouldn't continue in sin, God has forever made us righteous despite our sins. So family, we should hate our sins. But when we do mess up, he already forgiven us. He already forgiven us. The last thing, I want to give some practical things to help you when you when these charges come to you against you. When you start to condemn yourself, give a couple things. I would say read God's word. Read God's word. Listen to what God's word said about himself. Look at the faithfulness of God's word. Second thing, believe God's word. Not only read God's word, believe what God's word says. Third thing here, don't put others' word over God's word. Sometimes we just need to shut gossip down. Sometimes for us, more we hear, we want to know more about it. It might be good for us not to know about it. It might be good for good, and I'm saying it for my own self. I have learned as a pastor, when I first started pastor, I wanted to know everything. But something, I don't have to know everything. Something you can leave with the Lord. And it's okay. And a lot of times, we think we're stronger than what we are, and we want to know. And guess what? We're not as strong. We find ourselves back in the same situation. This is what they think about me. This is how I feel the rest of the day. It can be a simple thing so you don't have to struggle with any of that. Don't entertain gossip. Shut it down and say, hey, I'm good. Hey, take it to the Lord. Pray for me. You don't have to tell me. Just pray for me. It's okay not to know everything. It's okay. Only the most important one to know is anything God. And we should be fine with that. So family, don't put your trust in other people's words. Trust the Lord. Last thing I want to mention here, another practical thing. Pray. Pray to the Lord over and over again. When you see your heart and your life is going back to what you was in high school, junior high, or college, or whatever the case may be, and you're working. I remember all these people said this about me. Seek the Lord in prayer. The Lord to remind you that this is what the Lord says about you now. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Amen.